This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. This podcast is sponsored by our friends at Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. Charlie Hustle is on the road for eight weeks for their college roadshow, and this week, they'll be right here in Iowa City. That's right, Hawkeye fans. Charlie Hustle will be making noise until the walls and rafters ring all week, culminating in a massive campus capsule launching at the end of the week, Friday, September 2nd. Follow along with the roadshow through their social channels at Charlie Hustle CO and go shop the drop on Friday at charliehustle.com. We've seen the collection and we are sure that you're going to love these new designs. Let's so CH what that Hawkeye pride is all about. What is up, all of you beautiful people, and welcome back to the All Eyes Podcast. We're making this one a little bit more bite-sized as far as the length goes, um, just because we owe you guys that for kind of being dormant all off-season. Um, let's, and, and, you know, it's it's game week. We're excited to talk about Iowa football to begin with, and it, it deserves two um, renditions of the podcast in, in some sort of fashion this week, I think, especially with, you know, Let's make it a, a South Coast State-specific preview rather than a general overview of the season that um, we did on the, the larger episode this week. Um, so we look at South Dakota State. It's another one of those teams that, you know, um, comes from the FCS. That's a, a very one of the teams out of the top of the FCS year after year, it feels like. Um, a team that's loaded with talent um, despite not having the, necessarily the recruits that um, obviously Power 5 or even Division 1 schools have. But they always turn out a good structure. They're always productive in their conference um, and in that league. Um, and, and you look at last year. They they produce NFL talent all the time. You go to Dallas Goddard, um, their quarterback last year, Chris Aludicoon, um, one of the more exciting quarterbacks, period, in college football was for me to watch last year just because he was a guy who could run the ball, he could zip it, um, he could throw from a lot of exciting arm angles, and he really led that team um, in a tight spot where he wasn't even projected to be, you know, the guy heading into that season or definitive guy heading into that season, but he made the most of it. You know, he, he latched onto an NFL preseason roster, um, really put this team on the map. And there, there's a lot of guys across the board with South Dakota state that are notable as far as, you know, talent is concerned. They could all play in division. A lot of these guys could play in division one. I don't think anybody's ever debating that. I think one of the, the differences um, with like these FCS teams that you see at the top of their their leagues, it really isn't talent at the top end. Um, being able to compete at the Division One level, it's depth, right? Because they are getting the, the most out. Of, their talented players are they got the most out of those guys. But there's a lot of guys in the back end that really reflect the poor levels of depth in recruiting. Um, you know, there are reliance on guys maybe not qualifying at other programs academically, or maybe just not right away you know getting the respect um that they would should deserve or warrant coming out of high school maybe being a little bit under recruited and that's how they end up at south Dakota state so you're not gonna have the talent that iowa has just that's just inherent but at the top of the, the board they have guys across the board that can would start or at least compete for reps on iowa's roster you know year after year um so obviously a team you have to respect especially with the brand of football that they play that could present some challenges for iowa just how 
you know, unique their approaches on offense and how they attack you. Um, but that when you, when you look at this matchup with South Dakota State, um, where would you like to start? Would you like to start with you know the player specifics that they have, or would you like to talk about sort of how they go about and, and try to win games against teams? Yeah, I think uh, start off just kind of their general um, who they are, what they do, kind of on both ends. So offensively, um, it's a run base spread. Uh, they're, they're from the quarterback position, uh, they're looking to run just as much as they throw. They feature really quality running backs, tight ends, um, but it's a, a, a run base spread offense. And on defense, it's 4-3, uh, and they pretty much stick to their 4-3 most of the time. Um, now they did uh, take a, I think he's a Nebraska transfer, played safety um, or was a safety at Nebraska and they've moved him to a linebacker. So similar to like what Iowa likes to do in terms of um, have that kind of hybrid guy that's kind of a linebacker, kind of a safety, and move him around. But offensively, uh, very run-dominant, spread offense, uh, trying to gash you and create seams and space. And defensively, going to stick to that 4-3. But um, the third linebacker is kind of that hybrid safety linebacker that can flex out without having to to readjust your defense completely. Yeah, and I think that's what a lot of these teams that do find success at these lower levels do is they find like a jack of all trades or guys that can be moldable and bend into different roles. And, and South Coast State's really no different. There's a reason why they can maximize the athletes that they do have. Right and the talent that they do have, and and they mold it. And it's 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 kind of what we talk about with like Iowa's offense, you know, year after year of molding to the pieces that you have and making the most of it. And Iowa does a lot of times do that, but then there's also shortcomings. And when you look at South Coast State, the one thing that they know how to do is not put their players into position where they're they're almost designed to fail. Right? They they know how to maximize the talent that they have, put the best players in position to make plays. And, and that's how they are successful. You know, they look at their game against Colorado State last year. That was a great example of, on both sides of the ball, South Dakota State was definitely not afraid to go in there and, and whoop up on Colorado State. But they were they also weren't afraid to take risks, blitz a little bit. Um, they, they sent, you know, defensive back safety blitzes. Their safeties like the crowd almost um, sometimes and, and play that amoeba style where it's almost bendable they don't have a, dr- a traditional drop back zone um every single time they go back there where you know where a safety is most likely going to be on the side of the field they like to flow flow down flow around a little bit you know and, and and try to put themselves in positions to force turnovers or at least even maybe like confuse offenses and they do a really good job of that and i think it's a it's a pretty good precursor for a team like we're going to see later on in the year in iowa state where, you know, a lot of these unique looks that South Dakota State sends, um, that's going to be sending to Iowa, we're going to see in different matchups throughout the year. And this is a good, I think, warm-up for the uh, Iowa offense where they're going to they're gonna be tested. You know, it's not going to be an easy one, two, three read progression. You're going to have to trust your ability and just your ability to make throws against this defense, I think. Yeah, they're going to put, you know, I mean, like you said, it's, at that level, they've got really good football players, but they're not going to be quite the size and length uh, of a Big Ten team. And that's just the way it is, and that's why they're playing at that level. And they're really good football players, but you know their best player 
Um, on defense is a preseason All-American, Adam Bach, who's actually from Solon. Um, really good player. I mean, really good player. But he's 6'1", 215. And that doesn't mean he can't stop the run. It doesn't mean this or that. But, you know, that's just a different class of size in terms of um, what he's asked to do week in, week out at their level versus what they're going to be asked to do week uh, that specific week against Iowa. Yeah, and... You know, we we can go um kind of like more in depth, I guess, on the defensive side and how they match up with Iowa specifically um, throughout the podcast. But I'm kind of itching at just like talking about their offense because this is a team that, although they you know are capable in defense and they have guys who are are you know all league players on defense for them, all F- all FCS players. This is an offensive centric team where if they win games, it's because they're scoring points. It's because they're doing unique things to move the ball. Um, we, I, kind of at the beginning, I mentioned Chris Ludicun, one of my most favorite players to watch in college football, period, last year. The dude had a, I think they caught lightning in a bottle with him. You know, we talked about how it's supposed to be Mark, Mark Gronowski of who was going to be starting for them at the beginning of the season um, and then end up suffering an injury. Well, Chris Ludicun, I think, played better than what they could have ever expected even out of any quarterback that was playing in that role. I mean, the guy could sling it. Um, he could run with the ball. He was just a person, perfect modern quarterback, especially for this kind of style of offense. Um, and, and honestly, I haven't seen much of Mark Gronowski, but it, what have you seen about him or what have you heard about him in terms of athleticism? Just what kind of style of quarterback is he? Well, quick background. As a true freshman, he led them to the national championship game. Um, and then that was in the, the spring, and then he tore his ACL and missed all of last year. But he's a run-first quarterback. Big kid, 6'3", 220 pounds. Um, but he had, I think, like seven rushing touchdowns that first year, uh, nearly 600 yards rushing um, through the air. You know, I averaging like 150 yards through the air. Um, but, you know, throwing two touchdowns a game or where they hit some plays. But he's a run-first quarterback, um, somebody who wants to beat you with his legs and then then use his arm once you start cheating up too much on that and try to hit you with play action. What's going to be interesting is a run-first quarterback coming off of an ACL injury, um, just how does he react to that? Iowa last year faced a quarterback that was known for his ability to scramble coming off a knee injury. And in that first game back against Iowa, we saw with Penix Jr. last year in the Indiana game, you know, looked very uncomfortable. And now maybe Gronowski will be perfectly comfortable, ready to go and and run just like he did before. But it's going to be something interesting to watch. A guy who really relies on his legs um, coming off that injury. How how does he feel? How comfortable and confident does he feel? But definitely a run first guy um, who's going to try to use his arm to beat you after you've um, try to take away their run game and maybe hit you with a big play if you start cheating the run. Yeah, one of the fun things about when I'm um, watching South Dakota State is they their offense is geared to be um, you know, through the running back or, or through the running game as far as running backs go, but also as far as quarterbacks go. Like this is designed. You know, they're they're giving their quarterbacks options. They want athletes at the position. Um and but, but similarly, kind of like how you just alluded to, we talked about it leading up to the Indiana game last year when Michael Penix Jr. was getting all the hype, and they were talking, you know, it was a pick between Iowa and Indiana in that game. A lot of people forget that. Um, 
he might be medically cleared that and and you know all tests and everything might point to you know no he's fine he's good to go there's no risk of retearing no risk of re-injury things like that there's a mental side to when you suffer a an injury like that that it can sap some of your confidence and what we talked about in, in the our, our longer form podcast our sort of a preseason podcast um of this week that we released confidence at the quarterback position is literally everything um, your personality shines through. You know, you can follow the structure to a T, but there are going to be plays throughout the game where you got to make a play or you got to make an unorthodox, out of structure decision. And can you make it? Especially when you have an offense like this where they almost put you in those positions a lot to make an unorthodox, out of structure decision. And you got to be able to do that. You got to be able to do that confidently. You got to be able to roll out of the pocket and um, be isolated against a defensive end like a. Um, maybe a Lucas Van Ness, maybe a Logan Lee, maybe, um, a, you know, Justin Jacobs or Jack Campbell rolling down at you. And you got to stare down the barrel at those guys and say, I don't care that, um, you know, I suffered that injury and that injury hurt. Um, and I don't want to go through that again. I got to make this play for my team right now and just trust that I'll be fine. That's what separates a lot of these good quarterbacks from the guys who end up being washouts. Um, and it's, maybe that's a harsh way of putting it. You know, it's football's a grueling sport. I mean, you're, you're in danger of getting hurt, seriously hurt every single play, but you got to be able to flush that if you're an elite quarterback or a guy that's going to be able to help your team win. And this is an offense that relies on the quarterback to be able to be dual threat and, and to be able to make plays out of structure and within structure, just out of the pocket. And it's one thing that, that Iowa, I feel like does a good job of is making those guys, you know, trying to take away the one thing they really want to do. Um, and, and guys are going to scramble, you know, there's going to be times where he, it looks like he's dead to rights and he maybe spins out of one or gets away and makes a play. But I feel like, you know, really, especially over the last five years, those guys that want to get out of the pocket, Iowa has done a really good job of containing them, making them throw, um, be more rhythm passers and not getting play action, getting outside the pocket, letting them see the field clearly, and forcing them. And I think, uh, I think Iowa with the way they play their defensive ends and really their whole defensive line, the way they uh, contain those gaps, they're going to really try to keep him in the pocket and make him be a timing and rhythm thrower um, instead of making plays off script. Yeah, and what you just kind of talked about as well, off script. What also this offense does, which is my favorite thing as far, and I've been talking about Iowa doing this for a long time, is get vertical in the passing game with the running backs. You know, these guys are legitimate um, receiving threats, or they should be, or that's how they're designed. Um, and, and you can't really take them lightly because you gotta you got to have guys at linebacker and at safety that can pick up these guys and stick with them. And that's kind of an unusual type of player to be seen running, you know, up the seam or maybe on, on a, down the sideline at you, but they do that. Um, I know Pierre strong last year for them. I, I, I want to say, and should have looked this up before I started the podcast, but I believe he he's gone in the NFL draft. I think he's uh, okay. Yeah. I'm getting the nod from Thad. That gives me Patriots. Patriots. Yeah. Pierre Strong was great for them. He was so fun. He was like this, like a uh, compact bowling ball receiving threat verticality um, who could hurt you in a lot of different ways. 
And, and that's kind of how they approach their offense. They want everybody to be versatile. You know, they have a lot of big um, wide receiver threats or big play wide receiver threats on this offense as well that are returning. Um, I think actually receiver is one of the strengths of this team right now, especially if you count the tight end side of it as well. Um, and I think if, if we were to highlight any player on this team as a whole, I think we would probably look at, you know, somebody on the offense. Wouldn't you say that? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. There's a few guys that really jump off the page for me. I think everybody gets excited about a high efficiency running back who was a backup. I think Iowa fans are fall victim to that too because they take it, you know, take for granted how much wear and tear running back will um, experience if he's getting the toad of the carries and then the fresh guy comes in behind him and it looks explosive for 10 plays in a game. I, and I think that's what a lot of people are kind of leading to as far as um, um, Isaiah Davis goes. Um, you know, efficient running back and, and, and I guess limited work, but he's definitely an explosive looking guy, which isn't a surprise with that offense. They always have somebody at the backfield that just feels like they can, you know, make some plays happen. But, you know, we're talking about a guy who's explosive at 6'1, 220 pounds listed. I don't know if he is, looks exactly like that when I've watched him play. He looks almost a little bit more either lower in height or maybe like more slender than that unless he's you know put on weight that we don't really know about yet because there's not a lot of video of their preseason stuff but you know he's a guy regardless that can make plays and is definitely not a, like a smaller scatter back kind of guy um so if he's running down the middle on you he's gonna have some leverage in, in height situations or he's not gonna be a guy you can just bully around if you, if you see him in the middle of the field he's got in his career, nearly 200 carries, and he averages eight yards a carry. <laughs> um, ran for over 200 yards uh, as a as a freshman, I think. Um, again, in that national championship game, had over 200 yards in that game alone. Um, so, like you said, I, when you watch film, I, I definitely don't think he's was 220 in those. Um, but maybe he's just somebody that's taller and carries it. But he doesn't look quite that big when you watch him. Um, you'd say, oh, he's, you know, in that 205 range, but he's explosive. Eight yards a carry, um, nearly a hundred yards a game in the games he's played over, over two years, um, and served last year more, more in that back backup role, but to a, to a guy that was a fourth round draft pick. And then after that, they've got Amar Johnson, who's a sophomore. Um, he's a little bit more of the scat back, probably that 510, 190, um, 190, 180, 190 range. Uh, but once again, you know, averages five yards a carry, um, got involved a little bit with the pass game. Um, but not, but not heavily, but somebody that, like you said, that they're going to get out there and get vertical and really test your linebackers. But Johnson's are sorry. Davis is the guy that I expect to be the bell cow in terms of, of trying to get him to the edge with, with their spread out seams and trying to get gaps where he can get one-on-one with a linebacker with a safety. And that's where he's made teams pay in the past. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, I was obviously, uh, what's interesting about this team um, is that, you know, I was very predicated on stopping the run. You know, they will always tell you that, you know, if we can shut down the running game, we can make them one dimensional and we trust ourselves enough on the back end to, um, in our own defensive line to at least p- apply pressure enough to the passing game that they're not going to have it easy, you know, all day, no matter who you are. Um, that said, it's kind of an orthodox facing a team like this um, right out of the gate because they don't just run, you know, 
normal stretch plays or runs up the middle or or, or tosses or you know anything that's just kind of like oh well they they're a zone running team or oh they're you know a gap blocking man blocking kind of scheme they have a lot of options they have a lot of variance with how they attack the running game so it's not like you're going to get the same look and the same exact play is going to happen you know you can get the same look 10 times and it can be 10 different plays south coast state is truly one of those teams that um you know and i don't i don't mean this with any disrespect they're an offense that when people study them and, and the film gets passed around on them a lot of high schools i try to apply because they might not have the athletes that south coast state has to you know run you know the horses to run it but they have so much so many ideas so many innovative ideas that are just hard to defend against inherently and that stress your defense so much on at different positions whether it's linebacker defensive end safety even corner which i think is going to be an interesting um, aspect of it as far as i was defensive um cornerbacks on the outside make being able to make plays in the running game um you know we talked about that with matt hankins over the years having struggles well what about these new guys well, you know how are they going to fare um riley moss is obviously great in that department but what about the other guys that are stepping into that spot um south coast state is one of those teams that high school teams love to emulate because they can do it and it's unique and different but they don't need a guy who throws 90 miles down the gun, you know, and, and 40 yards down the field um, or these electrifying athletes. I just get them in space and they'll make plays. They generate offense for these guys. So it's going to be stressing, you know, each play design that they, they have is designed to do something to uh, stress out your defense. And I think that's a, a very interesting challenge right out the gate. What I think is good for Iowa is the things they want to do, I feel like match up really well with with Iowa. So you talk about the run game. Well, Iowa, historically, um, what they do is we got to stop the run game. Uh, so I think you feel good about, okay, Iowa historically isn't going to get gashed for a bunch of big plays, has been pretty good there. You know, what's their best receiving threat? Well, it's their tight end, Tucker Kraft, who is an NFL prospect, uh, 6'5", 255. He's going to look like a guy that you would want Iowa to have. Uh, my guess is Iowa probably... You know, back edge, tried to reach out, maybe see if he wanted to come in um, as a transfer because he's a he's a future NFL player. So what do you do with that? Well, Iowa's got Justin Jacobs to help out match up on a tight end. Not that he's going to be with him every time, but it's a great matchup for Iowa. And then on the perimeter, uh, Iowa historically has good tackling defensive backs who can make those plays uh, one-on-one in space. So... It's going to be a good matchup on the offensive line. I will just say uh, left tackle preseason All-American, left guard uh, preseason All-Big All-Conference. But they're going to have to go against probably Van Essen, Logan Lee, who are two of Iowa's best defensive at, or defensive linemen. So it's really going to be a lot of strength on strength when the Iowa defense is facing the South Dakota State offense. Yeah, and the one thing that I will say, and you brought up his name, and this is the guy that I think is their their key to potential success um, during their, their season. Um, and that's Tucker Kraft. I, the one thing that really was interesting when I watched him on film was that although he has the makings and the movement of being a playmaker, and you already mentioned it, he's, he's a good athlete. He's a good mover. He's he got that six, five frame. He's definitely a wider body. He's one of those guys who's a plus blocker, like a very good inline blocker who can get out in space and, and, light a dude up on his own without much assistance um he can help on reach blocks 
um, combo blocks, anything like that. He he's very good at being um, effective in the running game, and and that obviously translates into um, um, you know uh, play action when you have that threat and, and that ability to be a blocker. But he wasn't really that much of a guy who was making play explosive plays. You know, he was a guy that a lot of times was the leak out um, or on play action would maybe get a catch, go seven yards, and that was the play. And he's very good at those things, but he moves differently than that. He moves like, not to, you know, shoehorn them into a player that's already a prototype, but like Dallas Goddard when he was there. Um, similar type of frame, similar type of athlete as far as like jumps are aware, explosion, um, fluidity and space are that size. Um it just hasn't really come to fruition just yet as far as not a lot of explosive plays. And it'll be interesting to see if they maybe push the envelope with him a little bit and say, hey, you know, we got a trump card here against a really good Iowa team and good defense. Let's see how good these Iowa linebackers run side to side. You know, let's stress them out a little bit. Let's let's test their patience because Iowa State loved to do that last year when they're two tight ends. Um, they had some success in that game. Um, obviously, that was the Justin Jacobs game where Justin Jacobs made some phenomenal plays, but... I wouldn't be surprised if Tucker Craft is over 100 receiving yards um, in this game just because he's the their focal point on offense. And as you mentioned, not necessarily a big play guy, but a guy that they can, you know, third down, they're going to be looking his way. Um, just like Iowa does with Sam Laporta, you know, not necessarily a guy that's you're looking for 15 to 18 yards. He averages 12 yards a catch. He had 65 of them last year, so he they get him the ball a lot. They look to him a lot, but it's as a safety valve. It's, as you said, releasing and, and go and pick up a few yards. Uh, if Iowa can limit it to, you know, those shorter gains with him and kind of cover him up and take away what they want to do there, it's going to be really important for the defense. Yeah, stats are all always gaudy, you know, for these focal point players, but if it doesn't kill you, it doesn't kill you. You know, I don't care if he gets 150 yards receiving – if they if those drives where he's getting the most of the bulk of those receiving yards, they don't result in points for him. Who cares? You know they can hell if they even get only three points out of it, and they always have good kicking. I feel like I, I think Vinatieri's kid used was it Lash? I can't remember. I believe Vinatieri's kid actually um, obviously Adam Vinatieri went to South Coast State, and then I believe his son also went there for a brief bit and had a great little tenure. But they always have great kickers at South Coast State. Um, I don't care if they score four times on four different possessions and it's all field goals. Let them have it. I mean, it, I was has embraced the bend don't break style of play. So if they start at the twenty five yard line, they get fifty yards and end up you know saddling a field goal and fit all fifty yards were because of Tucker Craft. So be it. Who cares? Um, you're not. They're not going to win with those kinds of plays. They're going to have to get some explosive splash plays in there because I don't think they're going to find consistent chunk yardage against Iowa's defense. Yeah, and I, I think thinking about that, if you're Iowa's offense, you're kind of thinking along those same terms. Um, can you grind them out with the run game um, and then hit a few big plays over the top? Because they're a team that you said is based on their offense a lot. You know, Iowa's kind of the the inverse of that. But can Iowa's offense take a few of those things, hit a couple big plays, um, really control the run game um, as the as the game goes and and keep themselves ahead of the chains yeah and i'm pulling up DraftKings on my phone right now because i just remember that we hadn't really looked at uh the lines or talked about the over-unders or anything like that and this is kind of guess we can branch into um 
more of a, a general overview of, of how we see this game going. Um, oh, and I'm not see- Do you happen to have a line on you by chance? I'm not seeing one on here. I have not. I have not seen an official one yet. Hmm. Interesting. Let me do a quick little Google search here. I know this is every, everybody wants to hear that we're doing a Google search of the line, <laughs> but let's do it real fast for for the people. Um, football odds. It's a good little section there. Let's see. Because this is a game where if it's anything like I don't know, I think it might be around like eighteen and a half, right, or maybe even less than that. Um, as far as Iowa winning the game. And I wouldn't take Iowa to cover that, to be honest, if it was that high. And maybe I'm just pulling that number just straight out of my rear. But, um, yeah, I'm not seeing any official lines yet. Um, yeah. I Listen, this I think this is going to be a closer game if, if people are kind of overlooking them. I hope at this point that Iowa fans are not overlooking an FCS opponent with, you know, ability. Um the same way, uh, you know, they did North Coast State. Because this is a team that even if they're down by 10 points in, at some point in the game, you know, there are some teams that Iowa might run away from them in, in that instance. But there are some teams like South Dakota State that can make splash plays happen. Um, that They can get right back in with one play. And then if Iowa's offense turns inept for whatever reason and they kill, them, kill themselves or shoot themselves in the foot, um this could be a game going into the fourth quarter in the last 10 minutes, and it could go either way as far as who wins or loses. Um, as far as that, I guess cause, because we don't really have a line to go off of, how do you see this going? Um, game turning out? Do you see Iowa winning? If so, by how much? Um, just kind of give me the, an idea of what you're thinking as far as general flow of the game goes. So South Dakota State comes into this game uh, preseason number two. In FBS, so a team that's very well regarded, but I don't think they're—I wouldn't put them on the same level as that North Dakota State team that Iowa saw. But I think they're—they're they're good. I think uh, Iowa matches up really well in terms of what they want to do and trying to slow them down. I also think on the offensive side for Iowa, I think it's a solid matchup. South Dakota State, if I'm looking at their defense, um, I think their weakness is in the secondary. Now that's not where Iowa is strong in terms of their pass game, but maybe it's a chance to get that pass game going. And I think it's a close, you know, one, two score game for most of it. Uh, and then Iowa hanging on in that two to three score. Um, and so last year, like you said, they beat up on Colorado state. Um, uh, was it last year, two years ago, they were leading Minnesota in the fourth quarter, ended up losing, uh, two or three years ago, they were leading at TCU in the fourth quarter. Um, but ended up losing. So it's a team that hangs around um, and has talented players. Uh, But I think Iowa kind of gets that 10 to 17 point lead and kind of hangs in that area um, and then finishes. I'm going to say they win by 21 in the end. I think Iowa just kind of finds a way in the end to to wear them down, maybe create one or two turnovers um, and win something like, you know, 33 to I'm not going to match my score from her, but something like 33 to, to 14 or 17. Okay. And I, yeah, I think that's a reasonable number. Um, I think what I kind of see this going as is um, definitely not. I, I wouldn't, like I said earlier, I don't think they would cover like an 18 and a half or 20 and a half kind of spread. Um, 
I don't even think they would cover even a 10 and a half spread because I'm just so non-bullish on Iowa's offense right now until I actually see it perform, even against a lesser opponent on defense like this. And I do think South Dakota State has issues on defense despite having some talent there. Um, that said, I, I think that Iowa ends up probably winning this game maybe by eight, maybe by six. I think about a touchdown. I think that's the difference. Uh, I don't think it's will be a field goal game. I think it'll be a touchdown game. But definitely a game that I wouldn't want to overlook if I was Iowa.